0: Afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold. I've got my Bible open to Isaiah 26.3. Do you know that verse for memory? Because if you don't, I would highly recommend you learning this one. For memory, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I love that verse. I've got a great show today. I'm going to bring on Denise Copeland in just a minute. She's written a book called Set Apart, Stop Comparing, Own Your Giftedness, and Rest in Jesus. What a great topic that's going to be. And then Karen DiArmond gardner is coming on the program after uh, Denise, and she's got a book called Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse. We're going to uh, hear about her story, which is quite powerful. And then uh, Carrie Headington is going to be talking about the deity of Christ. So we've got a, quite a lineup of ladies today. I'm very excited uh, to bring on Denise. She uh, is—I I love the story of Mary and Martha— Um, it seems that we've always envied Mary and criticized Martha, but I don't think that's the point of the story. And Denise is going to talk about that. Denise, welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I am humbled to be here with you and the audience today.
0: Thank you so much. Now, there's all kinds of things I want to learn about you. First of all, uh, you grew up in uh, Puerto Rico, but say it the cool way. Yes. (laughs) Say it with the rolling R's.
1: Well.
0: Puerto Rico. Yes, yeah, I, I could try it, but I won't sound as cool as you. Puerto Rico. How's that? Is that okay?
1: Puerto Rico. Yes,
0: you got it. <laughs> oh, good, good. And before we get on to the the uh, your book, I want to hear about uh, the the uh, lifestyle growing up in Puerto Rico, because when I was reading your book, I was thinking to myself, this is really interesting growing up in Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it is. I mean, think about just. Flavors, uh, music, just colors, and family. It's all, It's just this beautiful culture, just all being together, laughing. They celebrate everything. So it's like everybody's always together eating.
0: <laughs> oh, it's great. And talk about the work ethic growing up in in Puerto Rico.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's work, really. Uh, people always have to work really hard to provide for their families. Um, I know in Puerto Rico, the economic system is not as strong. The government is not as strong as it should be. So there's a lot of lack of work. We're not getting paid enough. So working is uh, something that people admire there. Work to provide for the family is huge.
0: Mm Hmm. Denise, one of the things I I read in your book, and I found this fascinating, and I I chuckled to myself a little bit. When you moved and married and moved to Oklahoma City— it it was strange to you that you could live near people and not know them because that was not the case in Puerto Rico.
1: Right? Yeah, that's actually true. I moved out here to Oklahoma and I felt quite for a few years because I was not used to being in a house and not seeing my neighbors. It was so not common for me. I I didn't feel like it was family, so I, I had a hard time adjusting.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, Denise Copeland is my guest. Her book is called Set Apart, Stop Comparing, Own Your Giftedness, and Rest in Jesus. Uh, I started off talking about how we have a tendency of envying Mary because she got to the feet of Jesus, and then we criticize Martha because she was busy in the kitchen. But that's not the point of the story, is it?
1: No, it's not. It actually is that, you know, they both have two unique, unique different giftings. Um, Jesus loved them both, Mary just Had a posture of rest and listening to Jesus. Martha had a gift of hospitality and she just got caught up. She was having people coming over. Jesus was coming over. She got anxious and started operating her gifting from a place of anxiety and striving. And Jesus had to call that out. He said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things. Um, He didn't shun her and told her, Don't use your gifting. But he you know, in a gentle
0: way, exposed the root of what was driving her to do what she was doing. Mm. When you uh, chose the story of Mary and Martha for this book, I, find, I found that it, it seemed that with the root question that many women seem to ask is, am I enough? Would you talk about that?
1: Yes, I will. Um, I know that's a real question a lot of women have. You want to know if they're enough and they're not enough. You hear people saying, you'll never be enough. And to some degree, you will never be enough, right? In the eyes of the world, you will never be enough. But when you have your whole identity shifted in Jesus and you know who you are in your identity, your enoughness does not come from anything that you've done. There's nothing left to prove when you come to the foot of the cross. Jesus is enough for us. He's enough for me, and just His blow makes me enough. I don't have to prove anything to Jesus. I said yes to Him, and that is all that I need to live as an approved daughter of God.
0: Mm-hmm. Denise, have you always been a little bit of a, of a perfectionist?
1: Uh, you know, it used to be before, but once kids came in the picture...
0: <laughs> <laughs> that changed that things, went huh?
1: out the window. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs>
0: So talk about, yes. talk about, Denise, if you would, some of the dangers that women need to avoid.
1: Yeah, so uh, some really dangers that women should avoid would be uh, comparison. Comparison really, it just slows down. We're comparing ourselves uh, to the women around us, so dealing with their giftingness, like what God calls them to do, and we start looking at what we are doing or what, what they're not doing. It slows us, and it takes us off the course that God has called us, two. That's the first one. Um, Approval-seeking is another one. When we try to do things to gain the approval of other people, when our work becomes just, let me do this so that he or she may like me more, or let me do this so that, you know, just trying to get approval from people, it's a danger zone, it's a no-no, because at that point, you're doing it for people, and you're not doing it uh, for God. Um, And then the the next one will be from worry, worrying. When you're trying to—when you worry, you can't worship God with your whole life, right? Where there's worry, there's no worship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's only when you're fully living from a place of worship that you can really stay away from worry in your life.
0: You know, Denise, I'm always curious if there's a fine line between uh, approval-seeking and then someone that just has a heart to want to serve. And you wanna please somebody with their with your service, right? You wanna hopefully delight somebody. Uh but there's the fine line between you know, seeking approval and being a person with a servant's heart that wants to do something nice for somebody.
1: Yes, there there is a difference. So if like I for example, I used to work at this restaurant and um I had multiple multiple tasks to do and some of those tasks included me, like, doing these dishes in this steamy room that looked so bad, and I did not want to do that. And so, but I knew that I had a boss that I had to obey, right? But then after that, there was a God that was watching over me that ultimately I was doing it for him, not for my boss. But when I changed that, like, mentality that whatever I do – like do it to the Lord and not unto man. Like, mm-hmm. that changed everything. So, the heart posture, really. Every time I do something, am I doing this for this person, Jesus? Am I doing that because I want to serve anyone and I want people to see you through my actions? Like, I want to do this with joy and not complain about it later after it was already done. Um, so, that, that really changed. That's the difference when you really check your heart and see like who that you're doing it for. Is it for people sincerely for, for Jesus or is it really, if there's like a little bit of vanity in your heart.
0: Hmm. Denise, what does it mean to live? Like we are enough.
1: It looks like really, um, rendering like your life. Just there's, there's nothing to prove just, Knowing that whatever you do or don't do, you're still loved by God. He still sees you. He knows you. He's not going to forsake you mm-hmm. because you didn't do something that someone else want you to do or, like, your mistakes did not define you. Uh, there's nothing more or less that you can do for God to love you more or to love less. Like, it's just this constant love, grace uh, that he has for us, I would say.
0: Okay. Let me take a short break, Denise. Denise Copeland's my guest. She's written a book called Set Apart, Stop Comparing, Own Your Giftedness, and Rest in Jesus. What a timely message for the weekend as we're coming up on the end of the week. Get some rest. I think we all could use a little rest. We'll take a short break and be right back. Denise Copeland, she was born in Puerto Rico to a single mom. She's an author, she's a stay-at-home mom, and now resides in Oklahoma City with her husband, Roshan. They have an online and social media platform ministry that serves 6 million people a year. It's called Without Walls Ministry. you learn more about that at copelandministries.org. She's written a book called Set Apart, Stop Comparing, Own Your Giftedness, and Rest in Jesus. Right before we went to break, she was talking about what it means to live like we are enough. Denise, maybe you could describe some of the changes that have occurred when y- you really believe that you are enough.
1: Yes. Um, so once I really just came to the Lord and I realized that, you know what, I wasn't enough. Like, I stopped doing things to please people, like I stopped uh, trying to go with the crowd, to go with the world is doing, um, finding my identity and all these different things that I used to pursue, like before I came to Christ, um, relationships that really just pulled me back. Um, really, I, I left everything and just really dove into God's grace and His forgiveness, and just He gave me a new name and, and washed me.
0: I love that. I I want to ask you how you can best really show this genuine love um, rather than trying to get love through what we say or what we do. I mean, because I know this is kind of the heart of what's come out of this book is just this, you want to show this genuine love. Say more about that.
1: Yes. Um, okay, so the, the just showing this genuine love just comes from receiving the love. Like when you start to understand how much you've been forgiven and how much god has poured out his love on you just by the display of his son jesus on the cross it changes everything the way that you when you have the love of god in your heart it changes the way that you see people it changes the way uh that you serve people that, how you love them how you want to serve them it changes everything because you're seeing them from this lens of like they have value they they have a soul and they have a purpose in their lives. The way that you get to love other people changes a lot it can even change um you know the, their outcome on life or you know where, where um eternity wise like mm-hmm. you just never know like love is eternal and it can have a huge impact on somebody's soul
0: Can you talk about the seven d's that's the letter d that's in your book that's to you know, able to guard your heart. And maybe give an example of how you live them out. I know that's kind of a tall order, but I know you're up to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can share a few of them. Okay. Um, I know uh, the first one is desires. Yeah, like um, your desires. So always like asking yourself, like, what what is your heart hungry for? Um, If if your hunger is for Jesus, is strongest, then you won't going to look to other people or things to settle the question of whether or not you're loved or that you're a beloved daughter of God and um, the second one that I really like is just delight you know the Bible tells us that you know delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart Um, but something really that um, I enjoy about delighting is the taste and see that the Lord is good Psalm 34 8 when I first came to the Lord, I, for the first time, tasted and saw that He was good in a really tangible way, and it changed my life, um, and it changed my desires. It changed the things that, that I delighted in. And then one more I wanted to share is just discernment. Discernment is just asking God to equip you to distinguish between good and evil.
0: hmm You know, it's interesting, Denise, everything Jesus Gives us is invitational. It's you know when you said taste and see, and and you did that, you accept that that invitation, and then you started to enjoy and be delighted in it.
1: Yes, yes, yes. It changes everything. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. What um, what was it? What was the tangible way you were just talking about?
1: So I experienced this tangible peace that I'd never felt in my life with so many years of turmoil, uh, depression, and just feeling unloved, unworthy, dirty. Um, I felt for the first time in my car during the morning at this stoplight uh, when I cried out to God and just asking for forgiveness, not knowing that He was listening to me. I just poured out all my burdens on Him. And I just felt this overwhelming, tangible presence in my car, and it was just, peace that I've never felt before. And I felt the calmest and peaceful that I've ever felt in my life. And after that, I knew that God had heard my prayer. I was like, this is the first time I felt God in a real way. And from there, my life started changing. People started leaving my life. God placed me in a community. And I will never forget that moment. Every time I'm having a hard day, I go back to that one night.
0: Wow, that's a moment where God really showed up and revealed Himself in a way very profound to you. Um, Yes. And I love the fact that you can go back and think about that time, and it still feeds you. It still encourages you. It still uh, gives you kind of renewed hope, doesn't it?
1: It does. It really does, yes. It gets me through some really hard times knowing that He was there with me, and He's with me here right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Denise Copeland is my guest. She's written a book called Set Apart, Stop Comparing uh, own your giftedness and rest in Jesus. How have you done through the COVID crisis? What what did it teach you about giving and receiving love?
1: Yeah, so so the COVID crisis, yeah, I know it it has affected many of us in many different ways. For us, um, we were locked down like many uh, were, and it was very isolating for a while. to the point where it was hard to see people. And I'm, like, you know, I'm very community-driven. I love being around people. It's part of my culture. So um, I know for a moment it put uh, a strain on my marriage, family, and our friends were able to stop by our house and just pour this love on us. All of our friends just showed up at our house and was, like, self-care stuff and food for our family and a card. It's just such a blessing to be able to see them all together and really pray for us. Um, That really meant a lot for us during the COVID crisis, but also uh, we were able to give love. This is just even more recently because we're still going through this, it seems like. But I've been able to show love to people, to to my brothers and sisters, by really bringing meals, by praying for them, checking on them, even if I can't, um, you know, be physically with them, but really go and pray for them from the door and the window, or just call them and and really be that that Jesus that God wants us to be to be there for the sick, right, and take care of them, um, and pray for them.
0: Hmm. Denise, why why do you think it's so important that that we keep uh deciding to be known and loved by God,
1: well, what changes everything when you're you're known by God when you're fully known by so I feel like this like when we when you're in a relationship with anybody right you spend a good amount of time trying to get to know the other person, you know what what are their interests, what do they love, what do they don't love, or what what makes them passionate? I think it's the same way about. God, like when we get to know God more, we know, when we open his word and we get to know about Jesus, we can get to know more about ourselves because we start to see our identity in him and we see what he calls us, you know, that we set up our people, that you know, we are uh, redeemed uh, and all these amazing, beautiful things that his word is about. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know who we really were made to be, not the old self, but the new creation
0: hmm Denise, what would you like uh, readers to walk away with from your book, Set Apart?
1: One thing is that I want reader, I want my readers to know that you can be exactly who God created you to be. Is exactly—you don't have to compromise. You don't have to look at an, another person, your sister, your brother, what they're doing. You can be exactly who God created you to be, to own your gifting. God has given you a gift. Um, we all have gifts and talents. He has set you apart for a purpose, and you can do that. You can do operating your giftedness in a place of rest, and not from anxiety or striving. It is possible to abide in Jesus and operating your gifting at the same time.
0: Yeah, amen to that. In your book, you share this, that very liberating truth that women have a right to be who they were made to be. What a beautiful thing. And they were not made to do it all, but to do exactly who God created them to be. No apologies, no guilt, no compromise. I love that. So uh, tell me about your ministry uh, that you and your husband, uh, did I say his name correctly, Rashawn?
1: Yes, you said it great. You, yeah. You're really good with words. So.
0: <laughs> I would hope so. I got that old radio job.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So without walls ministry, uh, it was birthed really out of our desire to reach people without walls, outside of the buildings of you know just a regular church. We wanted to reach people online on social media all around the world, and there is no walls. So we went on the di- digital space and started posting encouraging uh, posts about Jesus, the gospel, just sharing the gospel and we found out how many people were impacted by it from the Philippines all the way to South Africa, just everywhere, Asia, all over the world. And we just saw the impact that it was making. And so we just kept doing that. And so that's what we do now. And we're in the process now of just making disciples, targeting people uh, to specifically hear the gospel and connect them to a church or um a mentor to to learn more about Jesus. So that's our heart, just to reach people without walls for mm-hmm. Jesus.
0: And that can be found at CopelandMinistries dot org. CopelandMinistries dot org. C o p e l a n d ministries.org. dot org. So um, I would love Denise to change directions completely. Can I ask you just a personal question?
1: Yes, of course.
0: Yeah, I mean i <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience with. Puerto Rican food, but if I were to go into a Puerto Rican restaurant and not having had a lot of experience with Puerto Rican food, what would you recommend I order?
1: Oh, I think, I think you should order a mofongo. <laughs>
0: How do you spell that?
1: <laughs> mofongo. So that's M O N. No, mofongo. M O F O N G O. Mofongo. Okay. And you can yeah, you can do seafood or you if you don't like seafood, you can do meat. Okay. Like pork or chicken. But <laughs> but I like the shrimp mofongo. It's like plantain. Have you heard of plantain? Oh before?
0: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's that it's just like a plantain, but it's mashed together with uh Ooh. Seafood or chicken, and just a side of rice with beans, and you'll be good
0: to go. I am going out <laughs> for shrimp monfongo mon tonight. I can hardly wait. Yeah. Denise, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed meeting you. So
1: thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Thank you. And you bet. too.
0: Thank you. Denise Copeland's been my guest. Her book is called "Set Apart: Stop Comparing, Own Your Giftedness, and Rest in Jesus." Take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Karen de Armand Gardner. She's written a book called "Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse." reaching for God's promise of real freedom. We'll be right back. guest is not only encouraging, but ever hopeful because the book she has written is a very difficult, challenging topic. It's on domestic abuse. Her book is called Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse, Reaching for God's Promise of Real Freedom. Karen Diarmond Gardner is my guest. She's with us right now on our studio line. Karen, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm
0: so delighted to meet you. And I know our our audience is excited to hear about your book, Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse. That's such a difficult topic.
2: It very much is, and it's one in the church that we tend to avoid it because it bumps up against some of the things that we believe.
0: Yeah. Now, in your book, uh, I know this was difficult for you to write um, because this is your story as well, isn't
2: it? It's part of my story. Um, I don't tell all of it because ugly is not going to help anybody. Right, I get it. Um, right? It's about what God does with what happened to us.
0: This is why you're, you're so encouraging and ever hopeful. I so appreciate that. Um, Tell us about uh, the defining moments and and why they are so important. um, And and what happened in the marriage?
2: Um, Well, um, it was one of those things that um, people usually ask, were there red flags while you were dating? There were, did I see them? Yes and no, um, because they're um, really good at disguising the red flags, and you think it's a one-off. And then when you get married, you think that he's all of a sudden changed, and really he's just taken off his mask. And so in my case, the abuse started slowly and subtly. It was very covert, Um, and it just progressed over time and and got worse and worse and worse. And then uh, when our kids were um, little, he went into law enforcement. Um, and and so that added a whole nother dynamic <laughs> to the picture. Um, but it really started off with emotional and psychological and verbal abuse. Um, it did become physical at times. And um, it took a long time to get to the point of the defining moment because uh, your brain cannot handle what's happening to you, and so it's called cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. where your brain begins lying to you and saying, "Oh, he didn't mean it. He just had a bad day at work." And you begin making excuses for him, and you begin taking on the blame. Oh, it's my fault. If only I had done this. Only if I'd done that. And um, and then that got reinforced when I went to church. If I was a better wife, then he could be a better man. And oh, if I just need to hold on to my promise because God will change him, And what I discovered is God can't change anybody who doesn't want to be changed. And they don't tell you that part. And so so it progressed and progressed. And 30 years later, I am just finally can admit that I'm done with him, that I don't care about him anymore. If he doesn't get right with Jesus, I don't care. I'm just done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that moment was so so defining for me, but then it would take a couple more months till I would read in a magazine, a Christian women's magazine, that God was not okay with abuse. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything in print um, from any Christian saying abuse is not okay. And it would still be a couple months later before I would leave.
0: Karen, I know you said you're you're done with him, and I heard that, like, I have a, a new healthy boundary. It's called I Am Done With Him.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, I mean I know yes. there's anger and frustration and hurt mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. but I'm hearing that you put up a very healthy boundary, and I don't I don't know the mindset of abusers. Uh, so, does it start with uh, threats of what he's going to do, or is it just this kind of this sabotage? What what happens? Uh,
2: yes, it's all the above. It is very systematic. Some uh, some abusers. Um, as soon as you say I do, they um, immediately go on the attack, and um, and I've heard from stories from women how as soon as they got married, and and they called them names on the honeymoon, and they immediately started the verbal attack, treating them um, terribly. And we have names for it, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and. And so these dynamics would come into play, and and mine was much more subtle. He did not come at me all at once, and my family noticed a change in him. Um, I could not see it because I was 20. I'd never been married. Mm. I didn't even – this is the longest relationship I'd ever been in. And so I didn't get all of it, and – um And so I didn't recognize it as abuse because he said he loved me. He vowed to love me, right? Mm -hmm. And so love gets so twisted and it is systematic because if we got into an argument, then I would, you know, you react, you slam a door and there was something that he would do without ever touching me. to let me know, don't you ever do that again, or you are not going to like the consequences. And it's just a moment I can even see in my head right at this moment, that moment, like, and I never did that again. There was so... And then he got to where he could control me with a look, the threat of violence. And that's what it is. It's called coercive control. It's where you use coercion. coercion to control and manipulate. And with a look, you can control the person because it's you do not want to deal with the consequences of what they are going to do or just give a hint of doing.
0: Mm-hmm. As a very protective type person, Karen, as I hear the story, I feel my blood pressure going up really high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. so you know, mm-hmm. I've got great yep. care for what you uh, for you and what you went through. Mm-hmm. And, and this might be youth uh, speaking uh, when you're married so young, but is there anyone you could have gone to, like uh, to his sister or his mother, or if a friend if a if a friend of mine's wife called me and said. My husband, your friend, just did this to me. I would be at their doorstep in two seconds.
2: Right, but there's yes and no. Um, after we have been married a few months, we left California where I grew up, and we moved to his home state. And um, and it's really important to meet the family before you marry them. Um, and and so it what happens over time is the isolation. And so he isolated me from my family. I now know I could have called my brother and he would have showed up on my doorstep, but fear and shame took over the shame. You don't want anybody to know. It's like, it's, you just, you live in a life of terror, and sometimes it's very covert terror, and sometimes it's just streaming through your veins, and and so he, he isolates you slowly over time. He isolated me, even with friends, and then I got to where I isolated myself because I was afraid to tell anybody because he was in law enforcement, and once it all came out, one of my very good friends says, she was hurt that I didn't trust her enough to tell her. And and I didn't know how to explain that. I had no words to tell her what that was at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Karen um, Karen Gardner is my guest, and her book is called "Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse: Reaching for God's Promise of Real Freedom." I, your book is not really a, a how-to book, but uh, it's more of a biblically based map. Um, that can you describe what makes that your book different?
2: Um, well, because I used to be one about ABCs and one through threes. You okay. know, it's in every sermon. If you just follow these three steps, sure. then you'll be fine. You will get freedom. You will get this. You will be the wonderful Christian God always meant you to be. Um, and we found out that those three steps just don't work. And there's a no matter how long someone's been in abuse, it, it's not the length of time. Trauma is trauma is trauma. No matter how long, it's just the longer you've been in it, the longer it will take you to heal. And so. So there's so much unraveling that must happen, and that takes time. And so I liken it to being on a roller coaster. And so even though I have a map out in the sense of you go from a victim to a survivor to an overcomer to a conqueror, I do have that laid out. But even in that, you may bounce around in all of those four things at any given time.
0: So. I appreciate that uh, comment. Um, it's Everything you're saying is so thoughtful. I know you've really—you've gone through this, and you've been careful about how you respond, and you've really laid out some wonderful encouragement already for us. Um, I would love for you to talk about your, your faith during the process of your healing.
2: It was—I'm um, one of the few. I continue to go to church. Many women, when they come out, can't go to church. Um, all those, they they are really um, having to re-look at everything that they've believed. And I did go to church, though I would at times, um, I ran out of church one day because the message, whatever it was, hit me so hard and the anger just rose up in me and I ran out of church and I ran into the bathroom and I'm just sobbing and crying and I can't it's just triggered so much stuff. I was angry at my ex. I was angry at God. And, and that's the beauty of it. Even though I turned to God, he still allowed me to be angry with him, to yell at him, to struggle in my trust of him, to ask, where were you and why didn't you? And all of those questions, Now I'm not saying he answered all of them because he didn't, a lot of my why and what questions didn't get answered until I started the healing process. But, but that is okay because God can handle our anger. David was angry all the time. He'd just start off. He's like, I love you, Lord. And then he'd get really angry and spew it all out, and then he'd still come back. But I still love you.
0: Don't you want to take your anger to someone who will really listen and really understand and has the ability to do something about it?
2: Um. Yes. And I and even though my family was here for me, I was one of the rare few that had a family to run to. So many women have no one to turn to. Even the church will turn on them. Um, And I did not have that. I I got this real support. But even they did not understand. And I I I really didn't have anyone who understood. I had one gal that was helpful. She understood the dynamic because she worked with victims and but I realized at that time, we didn't have that resource. And that was 16 years ago. I didn't have the resources. We didn't have social media where you could go and find pages where people people could talk to you and tell you what you're experiencing. Um, and so a lot of time, it was just me and God and yelling at him because I had nobody else to be angry at because most people couldn't hang, handle my anger. It it, it triggered their pain and so it it was a challenge.
0: Karen, I want to take a little break, but when I come back, I want to ask you about the role of the church in helping women who are really trying to get out of these abusive relationships and how you think they're doing and how you think they could do better. So Karen Diarmond Gardner is my guest. Her book is Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse, Reaching for God's Promise of Real Freedom. We'll take a very short break and be right back. topic, but we're talking to Karen Diarmond Gardner. It's about domestic abuse. She's got a book called Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse, Reaching for God's Promise of Real Freedom. Right before the break, Karen, I was concerned or curious about the role of the church in helping women who find themselves in these relationships. How is the church doing? And if it's not doing great, what might they do better?
2: um it, it's hard to determine how it's doing to, but the from the stories that i hear too many times we're not doing a good job as as a church to help women um we um are so protective of marriage um, that that we forget about the lives of women and children, and the thing of it is, is in our churches every day. When we are should say every Sunday, you're sitting in church, and if you look to your left or to your right, someone close to you is in a domestic abusive marriage. That um, most domestic abuse is not physically violent. The majority of abusive marriages are um, emotionally, verbally, and psychologically abusive, control, manipulation, all those tactics, and they don't always hit them. And sometimes women wish they would hit them just to relieve the pressure. But there are no visible bruises. You can't see that she's in pain unless you look into her eyes and you can see that something's wrong. She hides behind a wall of shame and the belief that it's her job that her husband get better and be a better man can. So if she's gone to the church for help, sometimes that's what she told. Well, you need to be, uh, you need to pray more. You need to forgive him. You need to submit more. You need to have more sex. You need to maybe lose 15 pounds um, so that if you're better, then he can be a better man. And I'm not sure when it came about that we've made women responsible for men's behavior. And, and as a caveat, I love men. I'm married to a wonderful man um, now, um, and I don't hate men. I, it's, but abusers um, are mostly men, but can be women. But because I work with women, I talk about mostly men.
0: I appreciate that, Karen. And what you just said uh, was really hard to hear, that the counseling or the recommendations you would get from church would be what you said. Mm-hmm. that that did not feel good at all hearing that
2: yeah it, it's it's not and it it's i did not have that quite that experience um so i had to reach out to women who did mm-hmm. and i got their stories and i was it hurt my heart um, to hear that. And so what can we do as the church is we can listen to her. And uh, because her coming to you, to the church, and I say you as, as the body of Christ, as the bride, when a woman is able to reach out, we listen because it is so hard for her. She's so ashamed because part of her believes it's her fault because he's told her it's her fault. And so she's terrified of him. And um, we believe her, even though her story sounds so outrageous, because we think we know him, and we don't. We only know what he shows us. And if anything, she will be downplaying what is actually going on. And, and she's not complaining about her husband. This isn't complaining. Um, I tried to po- talk to my pastor's wife one time, and she shut me down because she felt like I was complaining about my husband and I was actually trying to reach out and I never tried again. And cause she does not make him do this. This, this isn't, and he, if you talk to him, he will say, Oh, um, you know, she's just spinning a tail. It wasn't that bad. I didn't really do that. And if I did, it's like, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And as church leadership too often we go, Oh, look, he's sorry. And, and, um, and so we, and we tend then if he comes back and says, well, she did this. So that's why I did that. And then the pastor has gone back to the woman and said, well, if you hadn't have done that, this is your fault because you did this. He did that. And we believe him over her. And this is not just within the church. This is, this is a, an epidemic in our society that we don't believe women just rape cases. When she goes to court, she has to prove why did you wear that dress and why were you drinking? And we never asked, why did he think it was okay to take advantage of her because she was drinking?
0: Of course, um, Karen, in your book, you talk about uh, at the end of the chapter, you have little helps like mm-hmm. encounter God mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. reaching for more. Would you tell us about these?
2: Um, we have two sides of our brain, the left side and the right side. The right side is where we experience everything. It's where trauma happens. But that side of our brain has no words. All our words are in the left side of the brain. And so God created the two spheres and they're supposed to work in tandem with each other. So when we experience something, we can go over to the left side and we can put words to it. So I have words to engage that left side of the brain, but then I want them to experience God. I want them to know he's a personal God. I want women to know, as I have, that God is real and touchable and that we can encounter and experience him. He's not just in the pages of a book. He's all around us. He's with us. He's in us. And then I also want them to dig in and answer the hard questions. Because for the first time, some women are putting their seeing and reading words to what they've never had words for, mm. and and so this helped them walk through this. And a, someone told me last night, who is actually a friend, and that I've walked through some stuff. And she said, "I want you to know, I've been I've been taking my time through the book because I've been doing the questions, and they're really hard to answer."
0: That's. That's challenging. That's I, I know what you're trying to help women do is sort and process through this as well.
2: Yes. Yeah, yes. So, to, dig, to dig deep into their own yeah, selves and to ask. And so that was such a compliment to me, and it just gave me goosebumps right. because it means she was going to do the work to get where she needed and was willing to take the time to dig into those questions and get serious yeah. about it, her healing.
0: Mm-hmm. Karen Gardner is my guest. Her book is Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse. Uh, Karen, when you wrote this book, what surprised you in writing it?
2: (laughs) That I could write (laughs) 60,000 words. (laughs) Yeah? I could talk 60,000 words. It was that I could write. It was... It was, um, and it was also seeing all that God did in me and all that he was doing as I wrote it and the revelations that he gave me throughout. And it was always the promise, there are women waiting. And and I knew no matter how long it took for the book to come out, that there would be women waiting. And that is, it's a promise. And it's also a very sad promise because until Jesus returns, there will always be women waiting.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And at the end of your book, you have a a section called Eight Questions You Don't Have to Answer. Can -hmm. you talk about a couple of those examples of the questions and why you felt led to end the book that way?
2: Um, Yes, because I'm one of these people that I thought if someone asked me a question, I had to answer it. And it turns out I don't have to do that. Um, Because some of these questions are actually putting the blame on her. Well, why didn't why didn't why did you stay? Why didn't you leave? Um, you're an adult. You could have left. And it's like, they, it's because they don't understand the dynamics. But no one ever asked, why would your husband go to the abuser? Why would you abuse the woman that you vowed to love? We would never ask a, um, someone who survived a POW camp, why didn't you try to escape? We wouldn't ask a man that but mm-hmm. so we'll ask a woman why did you stay why didn't you leave and and it's it's a really really terrible question to ask a woman because you obviously because you don't know what you don't know right um and then they will ask you you know well um how come you didn't see the red flags surely you saw the red flags um Yeah, but he worked really hard so I wouldn't see them. He was very covert, he was very overt, He was very charming and delightful, and everybody said he was a great guy and and I couldn't see the red flags because he worked really hard so that I would not see them. And so some of the questions that we ask are are very hard questions. We don't ask women or men, when they've been through something traumatic, why didn't you avoid that? Why did you drive that way? We don't, but we feel like we can ask women these questions because in reality, we believe that women are abusive, that are in an abusive marriages are weak and only weak women would would fall for this. In reality, abusers target strong women who have a strong faith, strong belief, a strong foundation. They've, if they've survived trauma, they're strong because they survived trauma. That means they can do more. There is no challenge in breaking the weak. There's only challenge in breaking the strong.
0: Karen, I'm learning so much right now because those questions you just asked, um, I realize are not helpful, but mm-hmm. I might have asked any one of those questions myself hmm Yes,
2: yes. I I had one interview where he says, I will never ask a woman that again, oh, ever. Yeah,
0: there's no question. <laughs> so tell us about your life now and how it's changed.
2: Oh, wow. It has changed so much. I've probably experienced more healing in the last several years than I did in the first uh, 10 years. Um, after I've been single for five years, I met um, Tom Gardner, who is a bodyguard, and so I love God's sense of humor of being huh. married to someone who is in law enforcement, and he brings me this bodyguard who's a foot taller than I am, mm. and, um, and like you, is a protector of women, and, um, and he taught me what it was to love, um, and I realized that what I had in my previous marriage wasn't love because fear and love cannot occupy the same space. And and Tom served me long before I could serve him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and And we have a relationship where it's not, you know, are you submitting to your husband today? Nope. It's a mutual submission that we do to one another. And he does it first before I do it. And so he has taught me how what love really looks like and which has opened up what God's love really looks like, and that, and how deep it is, and how wide it is, and that we'll never get to the end of it. But I'm on a journey to discover just how deep I can go.
0: I got to say, I like this Mr. Gardner guy. Yes,
2: you really <laughs>
0: like him. <laughs> it's been such a delight to hear your story, and I know this takes a lot of courage to write this book and to be so vulnerable, but I know your your desire is through Christ to help other women who are in abusive relationships that don't know where to start healing. So thank you for writing this book and, and uh, spending time with me and all of our uh, listening audience today. It's been just a delight meeting you.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share this story that that we can hopefully that women that are sitting in our churches can begin to have their eyes open and that pastors and church leaders and other believers will begin to open their eyes to see who is around them.
0: I appreciate that. Karen DiArmond Gardner has been my guest her book is Hope for Healing from Domestic Abuse. We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more.